You're listening to This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and a few of their role models. This episode is sponsored by A Plain Account. A Plain Account is a free Wesleyan lectionary commentary that seeks to provide a heterogeneous perspective of homiletical-based commentaries from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find out more at aplainaccount.org. This episode features Melanie Gehring, a young Nazarene pastor in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thanks for tuning in. Melanie Gehring. Melanie is the language arts coordinator at Neighbor to Neighbor in Raleigh, North Carolina, as well as the associate pastor at Tapestry Church of the Nazarene here in Raleigh. Say hello. Hello. (laughs) So the first thing I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? So I actually grew up in the Church of the Nazarene. It was a really big part of my family culture. So my mom's side I'm a fifth generation Nazarene and specifically like Southern Nazarene University. And how did you end up with a call to ministry? So I, it was shocking. Um, I actually went when I was 16 to Bayou Labatry, Alabama after Hurricane Katrina. And I was not a kid that got in front of people that like participated in the youth group. I was a behind the scenes person and I just really wanted to go on that trip. Mm. And we did crazy stuff, door-to-door evangelism, rebuilding houses, and I loved it, but I had no idea that that was ministry. And then the following year, we went to the Nazarene Youth Conference in St. Louis, and even I was like denying that I might be called to ministry, but I took the track on understanding your call to ministry. <laughs> but I was like, but I'm not really called, not me, but I just want to know for sure that I'm not called mm. to ministry. Um, and then I, one night at the altar, I just had this conversation with the Lord where he asked me like, can I have your whole life? I was like, yeah, Jesus, like, of course. He's like, no, like, can I have your future, your plans, your comfort, your family, your health? Like, can I have everything? I was Mm. like, um, I guess like, that's what I want. And I was like, okay, yeah, like I'll say yes to this. And then immediately I felt called to missions Mm. and I was like, oh, hold on, like, that's not me. You've got the wrong person. That's really nice of you, but like, like great compliment, but like, you don't want me doing this. I don't want to do this. Um, and I really like wrestled with that at the altar. I was like, I do not want my life to be that. I don't want to leave Oklahoma. I don't want to leave my comfort, my big, comfortable church, my big, comfortable family. But I said, yes, I have no idea why. (laughs) And then that night I went to a booth that was just in the conference center And it was about the AIDS pandemic in Southern Africa. And I just heard the word go. And then my heart was like on fire. I was like, yes, I have to go. So I went home and told my parents like, oh, I'm called to be a pastor. And by the way, I'm going to move to Africa. And they're like, no, you're not. You're 17. Um, And so I really struggled with like, I really feel called to this. And I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm young. And then the next week, our head pastor, who was David Busick at the time, Um, announced that we are going to be focusing all our mission work on Swaziland because of the AIDS pandemic. And it was just like confirmation after confirmation. So I was 18, just graduated college, and I went to Swaziland as this like year-long journey of understanding my call, where God just continued to be like, I confirm this, like you are called, you are called, you are called. And so I went and it rocked my world. And that's the reason that I 
am in urban ministry today. Wow. So how did you get from there to what you're doing now? So I went to Swaziland. Um, I was the only teenager, and I had grown up in a really big, suburban, comfortable church. So I'd only understood God in that way. Um, and I love that place. It's totally my foundation in faith. But Swaziland broke open my box of who God was because I saw God on the margins. I saw God mm. in the face of death, in poverty, in pain, in disease. And I just felt so uncomfortable going back to a church where I could be an anonymous person in the crowd mm. and not feel that pain for other people. Mm. And and to not think about the brokenness of the world because where I was was so away from the pain of the world. And so I started college that year. I got back um, and um, had an assignment from Dr. Samples, one of my professors, intro to ministry class. We had to go to a church for six weeks and just intern. And so I really felt called to find the most dangerous church in Oklahoma City that I could find and go there. Um, And it just helped kind of relieve that tension of like, I know something and I'm living in this other world. And so I went to several and I found a church called First Indian Church of the Nazarene. And I walked in and I was incredibly uncomfortable and very scared. And my first day, the pastor introduced himself and he was like, hi, I'm Pastor Stark. Do you want to be our children's pastor? Um, First, like first sentence out of his mouth. And so then I naively was like, that sounds really easy. I want to do that. (laughs) So I said yes. Um, And they had had another intern, so she was stepping aside. And so I said, like, yeah, I'll take her position. And so my second Sunday at this church, I was technically, like, the children's pastor. And it was terrifying. I hated those first six weeks. Like, I mean, I had, like, kids hold scissors up to me and, like, I had kids that just like flat told me they hated me multiple times. I had never experienced that. And so like I'd go home crying every day. Um, And then I was very motivated by like guilt because there was no one else to take over. And so I thought, well, I'll just stay until like someone can kind of like take over. But I definitely don't want to be here. Like this is not my jam. And then I stayed for several months. And then an amazing lady named Kristen Donovan came back and she had interned there in college and she told me she's like you're doing a great job if you don't want to be here anymore like I'll take over and um you know if if you want to you can stay and I I, again had to choose I was like I think this is the right thing but I'm scared and at that point I really did love the kids even though like they definitely didn't love me back and so I decided to stay um for a few months and that turned into five years Um, So I was there a total of five years helping with kids ministry. Um, And so within the first year I was there, Kristen started a nonprofit um, called Jubilee Partners. And so I started volunteering there in college. And it was mostly an after-school program, summer program. Um, And it was great. Like, I just learned so much about urban ministry. And um, I, I loved being there. I wasn't sure how long I could stay. So I stayed a year after college. Um, But it wasn't like a full income. Like it was just sort of like a a very, very small amount. It wasn't really livable. It wasn't actually enough to pay back my student loans. So I started praying about nine months into my last year there in Oklahoma City. It's like, God, I want to stay in full-time ministry. I want to stay in full-time urban ministry, but I have like loans to pay and I don't want to live with my parents forever. And just what did that look like? And in May of that year, so it was almost a full year after I graduated, 
Um, one of my friends in college called me and he told me about um, a place called Neighbor to Neighbor in Raleigh, North Carolina, where his dad was the CEO and um, head pastor of the church. He's like, there's a position and you need to apply because you would love it. And it's a job with benefits. And I thought, well, this might be the answer to prayer. But I was so unsure about leaving this like group of families that I loved that had been so transformational in my life. But um, I did interview with them, still convincing myself I was just gaining like interview practice. I was like, I don't think I'm going to take this, but I just, mm-hmm. you know, I might someday want to know how to write a resume or do an interview. And then they offered me the job and I actually turned them down. because I was like, I do not want to move to Raleigh. I don't want to move away from my family. And then as soon as I called Royce and said, I don't want this job, I knew I was making the wrong decision. And so then I waited 24 hours and I called him back. I was like, I think I made a mistake and he, they hadn't offered it to the other person yet, thinking that I would change my mind. Wow. And so I took the position and I moved about three weeks later and I had never been to Raleigh or seen Neighbor to Neighbor, but I sort of jumped in and it's been three amazing and super challenging years. What was it like in the beginning? Did you Were you comfortable right away because of your urban ministry experience? It was actually really different. I had primarily been with um, Latino and Native American families in Oklahoma City, and now I work primarily with African American families. Uh, and there is a culture difference I had to learn in being much more the minority now where I am in Raleigh. Um, it also was much more administration. So even though I felt really comfortable with the relational side, sitting in an office and actually having to do the administrative work to run part of an after-school program was a really big struggle for a year because I just had never had to do that. I'd always kind of been like wild, relational, go-with-the-flow person, and now I was having to learn how to do that and to create structure and run an efficient after-school program. Mm. So tell me a little bit about how your call has evolved and maybe how Neighbor to Neighbor kind of fits in to that idea of ministry that you had when you started out? Mm -hmm. So I feel like a lot of people start with a sort of general call to ministry and then it gets narrowed in and in. I feel like mine started really specific and then started broadening. So really specifically, I felt called to the AIDS pandemic in Southern Africa. Um, And then through that, I realized like who God was on the margins. And so then I started to understand like, I'm just called outside of my comfort zone. Um, I'm called to maybe something urban And then it wasn't until I was at urban churches, I was like, I think this is where I'm called. It's these margins of the city. It's these forgotten neighborhoods. Um, And so it is strange to feel like I was so called to missions and then to be in the States. It is really cross-cultural. I didn't grow up in Raleigh. I didn't grow up in um, like an inner city neighborhood. And so I'm still like learning the language of my neighbors in a lot of ways, but yeah, my call is really transformed, and I think that was something I wrestled with, um, especially right after college, was feeling, like, unfaithful to that original call, because I didn't know that it could change and warp and transform and grow in all of these amazing ways. I thought, I thought I was called overseas. Like, I thought I was called to this specific thing, and God's just still continuing to teach me, like, you're called to ministry, and you're going to be called to several places in your life, and Like, just continue to trust me even when it doesn't seem to make sense. I know you talk about latent racism Mm -hmm. and how you've come to recognize that and deal Mm -hmm. with that. And I'm just curious if you could tell us about that journey. Yeah, I think I'm still in the middle of that journey. But it was probably a year after I moved to Raleigh. And 
Um, I, for the first six months, I lived with a coworker and his wife um, just while I figured out the town and um, like good neighborhoods. And then I moved into the neighborhood where I work. And so I moved into a place called South Park, um, which is one of the lowest income communities in Raleigh, historically African-American. Um, and I did that on purpose. I just wanted to be with the people that hung out at the after-school program. I wanted to be with the kids and the moms and the dads and the aunts and uncles and really live life and really understand um, what problems there were in the neighborhood and really understand like what joys there were in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really eye-opening because I was one of the only Caucasian people in the neighborhood. And so um, being the minority for the first time in my life, I just started to realize I had so many assumptions about people um, and about why people were the way that they were. And now I've realized like, you know, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, okay, like I see that one situation and that's wrong. But now like I just drive around downtown and I see, um, I catch myself like giving maybe more room, like in a crosswalk to someone who looks like me than to a minority. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just so convicted because I'm like, why, you know, why would I not give as much room to them? Or why would I, you know, wait longer for someone to cross the road just because they have the same color skin as me? Um, or, you know, I see like groups of people hanging out on our corner and like these awful assumptions come into my mind about what they're doing. I think God just continues to like convict my heart of saying like, why is it because of the color of their skin or the clothes that they wear that you assume that that group of people is up to something good or something bad? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't know them. You don't know the situation. And so it's it's been like a really hard journey because I like to think of myself as like a follower of Christ and as someone who's like in love with Jesus. And my heart has been changed, but God continues to bring up things like, why do you assume like this mom is this way? Like you don't really know her story. You need to know her. Like you're right, like, I can assume all of these things based on, like, pop culture or based on past experiences, but I don't know that individual in this moment, and so that has been really tough, but I'm so grateful for it because I feel like it's, like, refining my heart where I'm just, like, cutting away so much stuff that has been built up there and, like, realizing, like, where are the roots of this from? Is this from something that I was taught as a kid? Is this from an experience I had as a teenager? And then really getting to know the individual for who they are has been so powerful. Mm. I love that. I feel like there are so many little things that a lot of us instinctively think or feel mm-hmm. without knowing why. And I love that you're able to be self-aware in those moments. I think that's really awesome. If there was a young pastor that was wanting to read a book or mm-hmm. um, watch a documentary or something that might help help them wrestle with these issues what kinds of things might you recommend that's really good um so I haven't finished this book I feel like I have to like admit that first but the new Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander is um really incredible it's really in-depth um as far as like statistics but it just talks about um the way that like drug laws have been used to promote racism and ongoing slavery specifically in minority communities Um, And so reading that has been really powerful. There's actually, I think, a Netflix documentary called The House I Live In. I hope that's right. Um, But it's a documentary about this same um, issue. I also read a really great book called Americana. Now I don't remember who the author is, but um, it's a fictional but kind of not fictional story of um, an immigrant from Nigeria and her journey in America and how she understands racism and how she understands like this um 
kind of like class culture mm. shock. So for somebody who has never been to neighbor to neighbor, mm-hmm. um, how might you explain what it is and maybe your role? Yeah. Neighbor to neighbor is a, it's an odd bird. We don't really fit a super great like puzzle piece, but um, it started by listening to the community. So back in the early 90s, groups of families from the suburbs just started hanging out and building relationships and different housing projects in Southeast Raleigh. And um, through that relationship, they heard like what the real needs were. Cause it's really easy to see a situation and say like, I know what that person needs. I have the answer. Let me tell them what to do. And instead these families said like, teach us what your problem is. Teach us what you think the solution is. Can we find the resources to help you fix that yourselves? So through that, we have started a ton of like, little programs all over the place so it's hard to say like this is our main thing and then everything else filters out but if I had to pick one that we focus most of our energy on it's our after school program so five days a week four days a week we have about 125 children not all at once but about 125 come in they either work on homework or they're paired with a mentor in math and reading so I run the reading part I get to Um, test children, find out their reading level, and then pair them up with mentors from all over the city and create lesson plans so that they get caught up on reading level. Um, We do the same thing in math. And then they also have enrichment. So we realized about a year ago that our kids just don't get the same opportunities um, because so many programs you have to pay or you have to drive a long ways to get there. So we started offering them in our building. So Mm -hmm. we have art classes, we have dance, we have technology, I mean, all kinds of crazy things. We have an entrepreneurship class in which one of my coworkers started a small business with about five of our teens, and they ran a snack program after school. So they sold, like, chips and candy, but they had to learn how to buy and invest. It was great. Um, So that's kind of our bread and butter, I guess, if you will. Um, The other things that we do with children and families, we do employment programs, Um, We do GED classes, so we're a tutoring site through Wake Tech. We do basketball programs for both youth and men. Um, And then we also are a church inside the same building. So for us, it's all who the church is supposed to be, but part of it does fall under our nonprofit. And what is the church like? Tell us about Tapestry. Tapestry. Um, It's very diverse. It is very young. So I'd say almost half of our congregation who comes week to week is middle school and under. Um, And then we have a huge group of high schoolers. And then we have a lot of adults who claim us as their home church, but they may not be there from week to week. We have everyone from people who come in off the street who we don't know um, to, you know, doctors, to college students. it's very informal. So Royce preaches in basketball shorts pretty regularly, which I think is awesome. <laughs> um, it's definitely like the least sort of production church I've ever been to. There's no lighting. A lot of times there's no instruments or our projector breaks down. There's no words during worship. Um, we do the preaching, the word, and then we play hard outside together. And that is part of church. Like we eat and we play And so our church service is sort of a normal, quote-unquote, service, and then food, and then play and hang out. Um, And all of that is kind of who we are. Mm -hmm. And do you provide the food? We provide the food once a month. So we do a potluck dinner 
Um, it is always nachos, which I both love and hate. Um, we do what we call nacho Sunday, and then other times different families or churches provide the food and serve for us. That's awesome. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Tapestry a couple days ago, and what I really appreciated was the diversity of people you brought up to read scripture mm-hmm. or to participate in giving out communion. Is that part of your ethos? Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that I'm not even aware of so much. Like Until you pointed that out, I probably wouldn't have thought of it, but it really does feel like family, and it really does feel like it doesn't matter how much money you have or what color your skin is or what language you speak or any of those barriers that we're normally so aware of in church. Um, it really does feel like one big family. And so, yeah, we call on each other all the time to pray. And it might be a teenager or it might be someone in their 70s or it could be a little kid that's reading scripture who can't pronounce half the words. But it feels like a natural part of who we are. Does Tapestry do anything besides the Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon service? (laughs) (laughs) We do once a month. We do a brunch together where we pray Um, and really try to focus in on each other's needs. Because sometimes there's so much chaos going on in the church service that we don't really hear what a need is. Um, So we just try to really pray for each other. We also do a Bible study on Wednesday nights um, together. And once a month we go with one of our um, members. His name is Alan, and he helps run um, some different programs at a, it's like a retirement center. It's basically um, affordable housing for people over 55. And so we go to his house and hang out with um, different ladies that have called us their family too. And we do a big Mm. potluck there. And I never laugh harder than when we're at his house because like the craziest stuff goes down in Bible study there, but it's wonderful. That's awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific passage of scripture or an area of theology that most inspires you in your work? Um, I think in general, the holistic nature of Jesus's ministry um, has been really transformational for me. So knowing that Jesus cared for not only people's souls, like telling them about the kingdom, but he really cared for their bodies, for their minds, and for their hearts. Um, He cared for them as a whole person, and, and each part of that person mattered. And I think I grew up, and I still hear the language of, like, we're saving souls, And I absolutely 100% like want to have people like know Jesus deeply and go to heaven. But um, I think I've learned through urban ministry that um, the kingdom is so much bigger than that. And it affects so much more of life and like people's bodily health matters to Christ and people's emotional health Mm. matters to Christ and people's like mind health or mental health like that matters to Christ. And so that is how... Um, we should be Christ back in the world. So we, I don't want to just talk about someone's soul and I don't want to force them to pray with me before I'll give them food because giving them food is giving them the good news that there's more than enough. Mm. Um, and giving them counseling is the good news that like your mind matters and your health and that matters. Um, and that's so freeing because I don't work in a traditional sort of church setting. I don't preach every week. I do get to do a discipleship class, but um, I have a really unusual vocation. A lot of that is an after-school program, but there's so much freedom in saying the good news that we're talking about, Tapestry, is that 
there is educational justice out there and we are going to fight for it. And if that means having 60 kids and after school program today, like that's what it means for us to share the good news with our neighbors. Um, I get really excited about that. And I just get really excited about the creativity in that because mm. we've seen some insane things happen through that understanding of Jesus's love. Um, you know, so we have a garden now because we care about what people eat. We now have a garden that a restaurant wants to invest in and buy our crop and it's being run by our neighbors. Mm. Um, and that's incredible. And I think if we box in that Jesus only cares about this person's soul, then we're missing out on so much of what he wants to do in the world. Mm. Could you tell us maybe a story that might um, kind of give us a picture of what life is like at, at Tapestry or at Neighbor to Neighbor? <laughs> yeah, there's always stories. <laughs> there's always crazy things going on. Um, one that really sticks out to me, and it just happened this week, is... So I've been running a fifth grade girls discipleship class for a couple months. So I was helping with the children just because that was the area that needed the most help. On Sundays. On Sundays. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing, um, you know, just doing the Jesus Storybook Bible, doing different crafts and games. And I love that. But I was ready to go deeper. And our fifth grade girls were really ready because they were getting real distracted. And um, so we started this class and I was really worried. I was like, they're going to hate this. I'm going to make them sit still. We're not going to do crafts and games every week. And I was really praying like, oh, Jesus, please let them love this because I want them to fall in love with you and I want them to like really know you. And so we've had some good weeks and some bad weeks. And I just was really feeling this last couple of weeks like discouraged because we haven't found a rhythm. And most of our time together is them like talking and me shushing them. I was like, we're just going nowhere real fast. And we had done an event with the kids. We did an art camp this summer. And I was taking a group of them home. And they all live in this apartment complex. And there's just one girl in particular who I just thought she is never listening. Like, she really is the one that doesn't at all care. She never writes in the little journals I made them. Like, she just doesn't participate. And so I was really feeling discouraged about her because she's about to go to middle school. I thought, I need some hope, Jesus. Like, where is the hope in this situation? Because... Like, she doesn't care about school or family or church, and I just don't know, like, where to point her. So I'm driving, and she's in the front seat, and she leans out of the window, and she's, like, yelling to the kids that are getting off the van, like, don't forget your highlighters, don't forget your pins. Like, what is going on? She said, oh, it's just Bible study, like, super casual. Like, what Bible study? She goes, I just, like, read stories to them. So this girl has been going in her apartment complex with these, like, other children that are in her apartment, and going to a park and reading them stories from their Jesus Storybook Bible. And I asked her, I was like, well, what is it like? And then all the other kids chimed in. They're like, well, we stand up sometimes if we remember during the story. So they're like seeing this thing that we do on Sunday and they're practicing it in their own way. And I just thought like, this is it. Like, this is the kingdom. Like, they don't need me. Like, they don't need me to tell them this. Like, they're discovering it for themselves. They're doing it in their own way, in their own space. And that ministry is going to be so much more powerful than anything we do on Sunday mornings. Because for them, it's real. It's real people who live in their neighborhood, who are there in their same situation, who are telling them the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if that's all that Tapestry does is like empower people to feel like I can share the gospel with someone else, like we're good, we're golden, I can retire. So encouraging. Oh. Yeah, I definitely cried. 
definitely <laughs> cried as soon as she said it. I was like, oh no, here come the tears. But yeah. So I feel like you're pretty involved on the district. I was able to kind of go to the opening ceremonies of district assembly and you're, you know, front and center serving community. And I'm just curious about that journey and how that got started. Yeah, I, even though my family all went to Nazarene churches, like they were never really involved. So I never went to district assembly before I was district licensed. I had no idea how any of it worked. And then when I moved out here, I was like, I don't even know how to get involved. I don't know anyone outside of my church people. Um, but I've been being mentored by um, a woman named Megan Pardue, and she has a house church in Durham. And watching her be really involved and like love people who are really different than us and maybe really disagree with each other, um, watching her love other people in the district well and to get involved and to serve the church really convicted and inspired me. I was like, yeah, I need to be doing that because I do care about this denomination and I don't believe in like just walking away from it, even if I do disagree with something or if I'm having a hard time with like a cultural thing in this area. And so um, she actually encouraged me to reach out to the DS and just say, hey, when you drive through Raleigh next time, I'd love to grab coffee and really get to know you. And um, we actually haven't had the coffee time, but um, I've met with him in small groups at Duke and um, because of that just little email, he's asked me to do more and more. So he asked me to help plan part of district assembly, um, asked me to serve communion, asked me to be on different things. And um, that's really encouraging that he's really open to having someone who's young and really new to this district um, join him and lead. And so I'm super grateful that I got to see her do that because she's really involved in the district as well. And um just like watching her lead in that has been really helpful. That's awesome. Yeah. So what inspires you to stay in the Church of the Nazarene? What is it that's keeping you here? I think it is our denominational roots. Um, because I did consider like leaving after college or even my first year in Raleigh. Um, just because I didn't know if I was staying because it had been familiar or if it was because it was something I really believed in. Because it is, it's comfortable and it's easy even in a odd and hard situation the theology and like all of those things that go with the district assembly all of that feels like home and so I really wasn't sure why I was staying and there were a lot of things that I saw that I thought I don't know if I do want to stay like there's a lot of things I thought I really disagreed with and so I did wrestle with that and knowing our roots and that our roots really started on the margins um, and that we cared for people on the outside um, so much that it would change our lives is what makes me think like yes I want that because I just think like the people who were in LA and like on Skid Row and who would you know really change their whole life um, that gets me excited because I think that's who we are at our deepest part is we're a church on the margins we're a church of a bunch of nobodies and of the outcast, and honestly, a pretty progressive church. Like, one of my friends and mentors, Megan Pardue, always says, like, 11 years before women were allowed to vote in this country, women were preaching from the pulpit of the Nazarene church. Like, that gets me excited about the church of the Nazarene, because I think that's who we are, is that we, maybe right now where we are as a church, is that we're caught up in these cultural expectations of what a church should be, and look like, and care for, and 
what side of an issue they should stand on. But I think at our deepest roots, like, that's not who we really are. Like, I really think those first Nazarenes were a bunch of weirdos who were willing to be weird and on the outside because they loved people on the outside. And that's where I hope our denomination continues to go, is, like, back out on the margins where it's not cool and not safe and where people really desperately need to hear good news of Jesus. If somebody is curious about neighbor to neighbor or interested in your ministry or have questions for you, where can they contact you? The easiest is probably emailing me. So my email is melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, at in, the number two, in, outreach.org. If you're just curious to see what Neighbor to Neighbor is doing, um, we are pretty active on Instagram. I think it might just be in to in outreach and on Facebook. You can just look us up. Um, there's always something crazy on there about what we've gotten ourselves into. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for interviewing me. Yeah.